So speaking of the government, today we are going to talk about anger from the book of Proverbs. And um, <laughs> when, uh, when we talk about uh, Christian emotions, usually we have this category of Christian emotions that are okay for Christians to experience, you know, love and joy and peace. But then we've got other emotions that are considered bad, and anger is one of them. And this is because Christians tend to be very soft. We like to put, we like to get posters with daffodils on them and put our Bible verses on them. And so that's the set of emotions that we've kind of said, okay, these are good Christian emotions. But then anger, we say, is always a bad thing. But if we read through the Bible, we can't honestly say that. And the reason for that is because Jesus was angry. Let me just show you one passage, and there are a bunch of them. But in Mark chapter 3, this is going on with Jesus. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So he goes into the synagogue, and a guy has a withered, deformed hand, and the religious authorities are watching him, trying to make sure that he doesn't heal that guy, because if he does, they want to nail him for breaking their rules. So verse 3, it says, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So Jesus looks at these guys who are demanding observance of their rules, but don't care about this guy with the withered hand at all. And it says that Jesus looks at them with anger. So we can't say that anger is always sin because Jesus did it. And this is a good way to figure out if something's sin. If Jesus did that something, then that something can't always be sin. And we don't want to set a bar higher than Jesus. And he had righteous, pure, holy anger at people who were oppressing somebody. And uh, you know, there, there, so there have to be ways, as we look at Jesus, there have to be ways for us to understand that anger in certain forms is not a bad thing. I found a funny quote from Martin Luther, who was hilarious, and this is what he said. He said, I find nothing that promotes work better than angry fervor. For when I wish to compose, write, pray, and preach well, I must be angry. It refreshes my entire system. My mind is sharpened, and all unpleasant thoughts and depression fade away. So, so here's Martin Luther, and he says, I found the cure for my depression. Anger. And, uh, and man, I'm so much happier when I'm angry. I just, all, all the brain fog goes away. There's no writer's block. I can write. I can preach. I'm motivated. So, so here, here was Martin Luther, and by the way, not all of his anger was righteous, but much of it was directed at what had become a corrupt church system that was lying about the gospel, oppressing poor people, threatening the souls of people who wanted to be faithful. And when Luther heard about that, when he realized that, it made him angry. And he used that anger to fight the bad guys. He used that anger to translate the Bible into German, to preach the gospel, to train pastors, to write books and pamphlets, to over time liberate millions of people, all driven by this righteous and holy anger that was underneath all of it. So anger used the right way can do a lot of good. And anger is an emotion that was designed by God, and it was designed by God to, to teach us to fight, or to motivate us to fight, because sometimes there needs to be a fight. Right in the beginning of the Bible, you could actually argue that one of the first sins, or the first sin among people, was not being angry. The devil, as a serpent, walks into the garden. They walked, they had arms and legs then. He walks into the garden to, to tempt Eve, and Adam knew what God had said about eating that fruit. 
God had said, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He said, don't eat of it, don't touch, don't stay away from it. God had this rule that when you eat of that fruit, you'll die. The serpent walks in and tempts Eve, lies to her, and she's deceived. He says, the day you eat it, you will not surely die. You'll become like God. She's deceived. At that moment, Adam's supposed to be angry. He's supposed to fight. He's supposed to jump in and go all MMA fighter on that snake, and even if the snake taps out, because you know, they had arms, even if he taps out at that point, Adam's supposed to keep going. He's supposed to use that anger to fight the bad guy, slay the beast, and rescue the girl. That's what he was supposed to do. And that's the story that was supposed to happen there. In fact, that's why we love hearing the stories of, of knights who go out and slay a dragon and rescue the girl, because that was supposed to be the story. But Adam didn't get angry when he was supposed to, which is another way of saying that he didn't love like he's supposed to. Because if you really love someone, you will be angry when that person you love is threatened. C.S. Lewis said that anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. And so there are times that we're supposed to have anger. And this is why, as you read through the Bible, we see God as a God of love, but also a God of anger. And people read, especially the Old Testament, and they'll say, man, it just seems like God is so angry as I read through here. And sometimes that's absolutely true. He is angry as you read through there. And the reason for that is because the things that God loves, God's glory and God's people, are threatened by sin. And that makes God angry. That brings on the wrath. He has all the rage of a parent when, that, when their child is threatened. So God's anger is, a, is because of his love. And his anger is not a sinful thing. And so we need to have that balanced view of God, that God did make the flowers that we put on our posters, which is great. We can keep putting them on our posters. But he also made fire and volcanoes and tornadoes. He, he's a God of peace and love and joy, but also a God who's angry when the things that he loves are threatened. Now, having said all of that, most of our anger is sinful. There are definitely times that we should be angry, we need to be angry, there are definitely ways that we can be angry without it being sin, but what usually happens is we misplace our anger, or we misapply our anger, and it causes all kinds of damage. Most of what the Bible has to say about anger is that it's bad, because most of the time in us, it is bad. We get angry at the wrong things, we get angry in the wrong ways, and it does all kinds of damage. So let's just look at a couple of the Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33. It says, For pressing milk produces curds, and pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So God's called us to live together in peace and unity, both in our families, in our churches, but when we become people who marinate all of our thoughts in anger, eventually that creates strife or unnecessary conflict between people. You know, sometimes conflict is a necessary thing, but pretty often when we become these angry people, what ends up happening is conflict arises that doesn't need to be there. There's strife, there's fighting that shouldn't be there, and that's what anger does if you give it enough time. You know, if you press on someone's nose hard enough, this verse says, for long enough, eventually some blood comes out. If you press on your anger long enough and keep saying, well, it's not really going to have consequences, I can handle this, I can keep it all bottled up, it's not that big of a deal, Eventually, strife comes out. Proverbs 15, 8. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So he talks about someone who's got the hot temper, who's quick to anger, and that person stirs up strife and fights. 
Proverbs also says that it's not just strife, it's not just arguments, but there are a ton of other sins that can result if we allow all of our thoughts to marinate in our anger. Listen to Proverbs 29, 22. He says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Now, not the least of that transgression is the fact that when we become angry, other people around us become angry too. Look at Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. He says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So he says, if you hang out with people who are angry all the time, you will learn to be angry all the time. That this is an emotion that's not just isolated, you don't just keep it to yourself, but it's contagious. It's like getting bitten by a zombie, where if you get bitten by a zombie, you become a zombie, and then you go and infect others by biting them too. And that's, that's what can happen, where you can have one angry person with influence, other people get around him, and without ever sitting down for a lesson, they learn his ways. They learn to be angry too. And, and there can be whole groups of people that are just characterized by anger. You may have even visited a church before where you meet some of the people, and it just seems like everybody there is mad. And it doesn't, they're all mad at different things, but they're all just mad. They've learned each other's ways. It becomes this contagious thing. And so these are some pretty important warnings for us. And we tend to read these and, and think, I can beat this. You know, I can be angry and not have it create any kind of consequences. I can be angry and not have it infect other people, but we won't beat this. We're not above these verses. Eventually, given enough time, you keep pressing on anger, and all those same sins come out. Another big danger is that is not just that we struggle with anger, but we just become angry people, and that characterizes all we do. You might have that guy at work that when there's some bad news that everybody needs to hear, you know, pay's getting cut, or you've got to work some extra hours this weekend. Nobody wants to go and tell that guy because you know what he's going to do. You know he's going to flip out. You know this is going to go badly. And, and so everybody's just saying, nope, not it. No, I'm not going. Nope. And nobody wants to go and let him know because you just know he's a snap case. He's going to blow up because he blows up at everything. Anger can become something that really characterizes us and becomes just part of the DNA of our personality. This is what Proverbs 19 says. He says in 19.19, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So a guy blows up, and he, he has to go to anger management, and then he comes back to work. He's happy now. Sorry I punched the wall. Sorry I did all that. But you know a month later he's going to be doing it again. It just keeps happening over and over again. Someone who's given to wrath, you rescue him from it, you're going to have to keep rescuing him again. If we don't get anger out by the roots, it just becomes this weed that continues to grow in our lives. Now, I spend my summer mowing the weeds in our backyard. And uh, you know, spring, that's the dandelion harvest. And now we're, we're well into the clover harvest. But I just know that when I'm out there and I'm, I'm mowing these weeds every week, I know I'm going to have to do it again next week. I know this isn't taking care of anything at the root, and they're actually spreading, and they're getting worse. And until I actually go out there and take care of the problem, which I don't know if I will, but until I actually deal with that, this is going to be a repeated issue. I'm just going to have to keep going. I'm going to have to keep mowing. And even during August, when no one else is mowing their lawn, I am because the weeds apparently don't need water to grow. And so they're growing just fine. But because I've never gotten them out by the roots, they just keep growing back. So everything that Proverbs says about misplaced anger is that it is damaging, it can be addicting, and I think we know from experience that it's not rare. You know, there was actually a study that said among Christian guys, anger was more of a struggle than lust. 
more of a consistent problem, more of a sin, more prevalent in our hearts. And I got to admit, this is one of my sins. This is, this is an issue for me. This is something that I have to struggle against. And I would feel like a huge hypocrite preaching this message if it was all about me. Because I'm not a great example when it comes to having lifelong victory over anger. But what's so encouraging is that I get to preach about Jesus. Um, and that's, this is what I just love about Grace Road. Meeting with these pastors last week, I noticed that they, they were kind of a discouraged group of guys. Um, and a big reason a lot of them are discouraged is they're going back to churches that don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about how awesome the pastor is. They want to hear, here are the five steps to a better you and an awesome life. And they go back and they feel like they have to lie to these people and scratch their ears to make them feel good that week. And then the people go home and they try to be awesome and they're not awesome. So they come back and they're disillusioned and they're mad at their pastor. And every week he has to get up and be phony, pretend he's someone he's not, point them to some solution that's not Jesus, some savior that's not Jesus. And, and it's burning these guys out like crazy. I love that as a church, for, for all of our faults and all of our flaws, you love hearing about Jesus. You love the gospel. You love hearing that the ultimate solution is Jesus, and you don't want something other than that. I never feel pressure to just give you a bunch of hype or a bunch of bull or to make myself look like I'm someone that I'm not. I don't feel like I have to do that here, and I just, say, just want to say thank you. The more I meet with other pastors, the more I recognize how unique what God's doing at Grace Road is. Um, just that to take someone who naturally doesn't want Jesus. I mean, we naturally want religion. We want church. We, we want to have community. We want motivational talks. We, we want to find skills to help us live a better life. Naturally, we want that, but we don't want Jesus. And to have so many people who want Jesus is a miracle. And so, so I'm thankful for it, thankful for Grace Road. And I tell you, I take two weeks away, and I, I want to be back. I want to be back here. I don't I miss my church when I'm gone just because you do love Jesus and you do love the gospel. And the truth is, it's really only when we take the pressure off and say that we don't have to perform to get God to love us. We don't have to perform to earn acceptance from other people. I don't have to master anger to to be in right standing with God. It's only when I believe that and start to believe instead in the gospel that says that what Jesus did for me on the cross gives me a right standing with God. It's only when I believe that that I start to have victory over anger. When I just try to count to 10 and breathe and try all these surface techniques to treat a symptom instead of treat the roots of my anger, it doesn't work long-term and usually just leaves me worse off in the end. But if I say I don't have to do anything, Jesus did all of it, every sin was paid for, there's no hoop I have to jump through to get my brothers and sisters to love me or to get my God to love me, then that's freeing and actually does start to dissolve anger at a root. So, um, so what's the win? What are we shooting for? If, if obviously we're not shooting for no anger because Jesus didn't live a life with no anger, what are we looking for? And let me just show you a few Proverbs quickly here. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs nineteen eleven: Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So all throughout Proverbs, I couldn't find one command where it says never be angry. All I could find were the commands to be slow to be angry, to have that anger under control, where you're the one who's ruling it. You're the one who's got control over your spirit all the time, which means no, what the New Testament calls fits of rage, 
No flipping out, no angry outbursts, no saying things that you regret because of anger, but keeping that anger under control so it can only be used to fight the things that need to be fought and used in the right way. Where if anger comes, you're slow to get there and you use it strategically, you use it with a sharp point, you're not just a generally anger person, angry person. Now all of that sounds good, but it's hard. And this is what he says. He says that, man, if you can control your spirit, you're better than someone who takes a city. We watched a documentary a couple weeks ago on, um, on the war in Iraq, and it described the city of Baghdad for a while, if you remember, when everything was blowing up there, and there was the insurgency there, and people were fighting like crazy, and the, the whole city was chaos. And they focused in on one of the, the generals who was in charge of subduing that city, and he got a lot done. He, he made a lot of progress there. The city calmed down. But this guy was just known as a guy who just cusses up a storm, fits of rage, fits of anger, and here was that guy. He subdued a city, but couldn't subdue his own spirit. So you say to him, man, you're really angry. It seems like you're flipping out all the time. Yeah, it's really hard not to be angry. You just subdued Baghdad. That's nothing compared to my anger. That, that's, what, that's the kind of guy that he was. And this is what the Proverbs say. They say that there can be those guys who rule the cities, but still can't rule their own spirits. So this is a difficult thing. I think a big reason that we don't make much progress against anger is because we do just try to treat the symptom. We say, okay, what I need to do is count to 10, go for a jog, call a friend and invent, punch something, invent. I need to do those things and then my anger will go away. Proverbs 29.11 says this. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So Proverbs doesn't call us just to, to vent anger. It doesn't say that if you're angry, you need to find a place to express it somewhere. It doesn't say that that's the right approach, but that's the approach we tend to take. Now, I would say this. In the moment, if, if your two options because of your sin are to blow up a relationship or go for a jog, go for that jog. But ultimately, that's just mowing the weeds. Ultimately, you're really not dealing with that thing at the root. You're, you're going to be angry again. You're going to need to go for a jog again. Remember, he said, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. So don't just think, if I could just punch a punching bag, go for a jog, lift some weights, count to 10, that'll take care of the problem. Do that in the moment, but ultimately, we need to have a totally different approach to get this out by the root. And here's the big approach. We need to ask ourselves, where that anger comes from. Remember, anger was designed by God for us to defend something. So, so the right use of anger is here is somebody who's threatened. I need to jump in and fight. The adrenaline needs to go up. The anger needs to be there. The rage needs to be there so I can fight for someone that I love. It was designed by God to do that. One of the big reasons that we're angry in sinful ways 90% of the time is we defend all the wrong things. So a good way to, to root out anger is to ask yourself, what am I defending? What am I trying to protect? What is making me so angry? What what am I trying to fight for that I don't need to be fighting for? Um, Let me just give you a couple examples from my failures. Uh, And and there are plenty here. Last week, we were in California, uh, and it was beautiful. We We were in meetings in the morning and meetings in the evening, so we had afternoons off. And our hotel was about an hour walk from Newport Beach, and uh, so, so we drove it. And so in the afternoon, 1 o'clock or so, right after lunch, we're driving down to Newport Beach, and I had to get to the beach. 
Uh, this beach, there was a study that came out, I think while we were there, of the top 25 beaches in the United States when it comes to cleanliness and health, and Newport Beach was in the top 25. Um, Ontario Beach, by the way, <laughs> was in the bottom 25. And so, uh, so, so if, you, if you've ever been to Ontario Beach, think of the opposite of that. Um, and that's Newport Beach. I mean, there, there weren't big piles of cigarette butts. There weren't you know, uh, dead seagulls every five feet. There wasn't like the wafting sewage smell. It was nothing but beauty, a beautiful ocean. Uh, we got to go to Laguna Beach, and that was kind of pristine and untouched, which I prefer the one that they run the machine on so you can walk in the sand. But, um, so that was the beach we had to get to, and I wanted to be refreshed. I, I was kind of tired, kind of worn out, and I knew that just sitting on that beach, walking on that beach, was going to heal me. It was going to make me better. It was going to save me. I was going to be redeemed and a better person when I got to that beach. But then we get in the car to go down there, and there are no parking spots anywhere. And I'm not a big fan of traffic anyway. Um, and so I'm driving in the traffic. It's 1 o'clock, and probably for an hour, we had to drive to find a spot. Is that about right, babe? About an hour? Yeah, <laughs> at least. This was not my best moment um, because I had to get to the beach. And everybody in all those parking spots was between me and the beach that was going to save me and heal me. So I'm driving along. I'm short with Debbie. I'm squeezing the steering wheel so hard. I think the airbag's going to pop out. I'm driving, looking everywhere for a spot and nowhere. And so, so in my head, I'm angry at everybody. I'm angry at the jaywalkers. I'm angry at the traffic. I'm angry at the city of Newport Beach. Like, did they not think anyone was going to drive to this place in a car? <laughs> was, was everyone going to float to the beach on coconuts? And so I'm just <laughs> looking, I'm getting madder and driving, and because I have to get there. I had to get there, and we only had so many hours in California. This doesn't happen to us a lot, and those hours are ticking away. Uh, all of our kids were here in Buffalo being watched by my mom. Like, these are pristine minutes, and I was losing them because some people actually double parked there too. Like, it was just, I was mad. And um, not only that, man, they have Mexican food there. I, I thought all Mexican food was gross, and then I went to Southern California. It's not. It's just gross here. Um, it is, it's <laughs> wonderful there. I mean, Mighty Taco is great, but it's not Mexican. Um, it's kind of its own thing. It's like its own meat, cheese, paste, which is great, but it's some, some altogether different thing. This place, they had great tacos, fresh ingredients, beautiful sand, beautiful ocean, 72 degrees and sunny every day, and that was going to save me and make me better. And what stood between me and that was no parking spaces. So this is where the anger flares up. And here's, here's what I should have done. I should have said, what am I defending? What am I going after? What am I running after? And, and why am I so angry? The big reason is it wasn't the parking, and it wasn't the jaywalkers, and it wasn't Newport Beach, it wasn't the poor planning or the lack of garages. Those, those things were really small factors. The big reason I was angry is because I was worshiping an idol. I was worshiping a comfort idol. I really believed that that beach was going to save me. That beach was going to rescue me from my tension. It was going to re relieve all of it. It was going to make me a happy person. Now, I'll tell you, when we did get to the beach, it was nice. Um, I, w I was feeling good, and the anger did go away pretty quickly. But the anger came from me running after an idol, and because there was something between me and that idol, I'm fighting. God-given anger, God-given fight, totally misplaced, becomes sin. If I could believe that Jesus is the one who saves me, that Jesus is the one who refreshes me, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul, that I have what I need for spiritual refreshment in Jesus, with or without a beach, then a beach would just be a beach. But because 
I believed in that comfort idol, that it could do something for me that Jesus couldn't do, I got all kinds of angry trying to defend it. I was driven by this false gospel. And so a strategy for us to fight anger is to, when we just see that anger coming up over and over again, to just ask ourselves, what am I defending? What am I running after? Why am I fighting? 90% of the time, it's something that we don't need to fight for. It's something we don't need to run after. You know, another time is I was, um, when I was a youth pastor, I was running uh, um, a sports challenge vacation Bible school. And this was, uh, we would have a thousand different kids come to this thing over the course of a week, some years, 200 volunteers, and it was intense. Uh, I had workers to coordinate all over the place, and I'm not administratively gifted at all, but I was running this whole thing. Um, I'm on the walkie-talkie on Monday morning. We're getting everything set up, and it's chaos. People are calling left and right. Hey, is there supposed to be water in the pool? And I'm, I'm getting mad because everything has to look just right. Everything's got to be coordinated. I'm getting short with volunteers. If people aren't doing their job, I'm getting mad at them. Where's the guy in the Elmo suit? Like, everything's, everything's going wrong. You know, parents are pulling in going, is that guy the director? I think he just knocked out Elmo. <laughs> like, it was, this is this thing I was trying to run and trying to get just right. And, man, I just felt that anger flaring up because there was so much that had to, to fall in place. A good strategy would be to ask, what am I defending? And I can say this about those weeks. What I was defending was my ego. I wanted to be thought of as a pretty together leader. I wanted to be able to say, yeah, a lot of kids here, a lot of volunteers. I got this. Totally under control. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've trained these people well. This thing is well managed. Look at me. Look at my glory. Look how awesome I am. Because I had that idol of human approval on the throne of my heart, I was angry to fight for it. You'll see parents um, who just flip out at their kids at Wegmans because their kids are misbehaving. And, and you, you know that those kids act like that at home, but the parents aren't as mad. Well, why, why are they more angry at Wegmans? Because what we put on the throne is our ego. Not only are my kids misbehaving, but now people see my kids misbehaving. These kids exist for my glory, and they're not giving me glory. And so, so now this ego that's on the throne of my life is threatened, and I'll fight. When we believe that we need something other than Jesus ultimately, whether it's human approval, comfort, when we believe those things, we'll get angry to defend those things. We fight for the wrong things. What we need to do is preach the gospel right at those idols. We need to preach it at that comfort idol. Preach it at that ego idol and say, no, there's something better than you. Jesus is better than you. Um, if you ever get a chance to read any of the old catechisms that people would teach their kids, they're super valuable. In the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the questions that you asked your kids was, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the response was, that I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. If we believed that, that Jesus was our only comfort in life and death, if we believe that, that, that I exist to worship him, I exist for his glory, not for my glory, an awful lot of my anger would go away. 
most of our anger has underneath it a frustrated pursuit of all the wrong things. And if we could pursue Jesus, we would see a, a lot of dissolving of our anger. And you say, okay, well, I've got some righteous anger. <laughs> there was a legitimate offense. Um, so, so what about my anger? Listen to what Ephesians says. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. It says, be angry. So there's the command. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. So the warning here is that we can have totally justified anger, but then we can act in sinful ways in response to it. I mean, there is a lot that's wrong in the world. There are a lot of injustices. There are a lot of people who are victims, and it is right for us to be angry at those things. But we have to be careful that we don't take our right anger and respond in all the wrong ways. And just a broad answer for what the wrong ways are, any way that we're acting in God's place in response to even a justified source of anger is a sinful thing. Like, for example, revenge is always wrong. The Bible says that that vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's the one who will pay back enemies. And if our anger over something that someone legitimately did to us that was legitimately wrong leads us to, to bring about revenge, we're stepping into God's place and we're doing something wrong. Bitterness and an inability to be free from the actions that someone else committed, that also is going to be wrong, even if the anger was justified. Uh, We're basically just saying, I don't trust that God's going to repay. I don't trust that God will be just. I don't trust he's going to sort this out in the end. So I need to step into this place and make them pay with my bitterness. Anytime that we lose control, anytime our anger is directed at a whole person instead of just that person's sin, those are all sinful expressions of anger. Now, sometimes it's right to fight, even physically to jump in and defend someone. I don't think any of us, if we saw an adult chasing a five-year-old down the street with a baseball bat, probably none of us would say, don't step in and do anything. It would be right for us to step in and do what we had to physically to stop that. That fight was put there by God to stop that bad thing from happening. But that fight should always be done to stop a harmful behavior that's about to be done. It shouldn't be all the time. We shouldn't be quick to jump into that. We should be slow to that and and rarely use it. Usually, there isn't a snake for us to fight right now. Usually, there's a long-term approach to our enemies that we need to follow. And this is Proverbs 25, 21, 22, where it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So a normal approach, even to our enemies, even to those who have done some things that make us angry, is to take that anger and direct it towards serving and loving them. And that heaps burning coals of fire on their head, and we get rewarded by the Lord. Remember, we don't see any example of this better than the example of Jesus. I mean, here he comes, he's riding into Jerusalem to fight his enemies. These are the people he is angry at. These are the Pharisees and hypocrites who would rather him leave a guy with a withered hand then heal him on the Sabbath. So he's mad at those people. He's mad at the people who are robbing the poor. He's mad at the people who are lying to them about who he is. They're rejecting him. They're persecuting him. He knows everything they're going to do to him and to his followers. So he rides into Jerusalem to go to war, and there he lays down his life. He does go to war, but the way that he does it is by absorbing the anger and dying for his enemies. There's not that ego on the throne. There's not the comfort idol. Just love. And that love that he had, even for his enemies, shaped 
how he fought. And he laid down his life. And we read, read the story of the Bible and we know what a disappointment Adam was because he didn't get angry and slay the beast and get the girl. The story of the Bible is that Adam, or is that Jesus, was the second Adam who got angry, slew the snake, and got his bride. He got us. He won us. He, he, he won the whole thing. He triumphed. And if we really believe that, it does an awful lot to dissolve our anger. It does an awful lot to change the way we think about everything. If we have a Savior who's always take, already taken care of our biggest need, already taken care of our biggest need for, for comfort, our biggest need for affirmation, all of that we have an answer for in Jesus. And if we're not pursuing those things, we're not worshiping those things anymore, then we don't have to fight and be so angry. We need to be people who really do fight for that gospel-centered joy. By the way, parents, this is so important. Um, you know, I know it's easy to be grumpy as parents. We've got four kids under eight, and it's high tension levels most of the time at our house. Just a lot of energy there. And so, so it's easy to be just on the edge of going crazy. Um, like, like, is dad going to snap today? I know, I know what, what it's like to be there. But here's the thing. If we don't successfully fight for joy in our homes, that can have horrible consequences for our kids. If our kids grow up and their memories of home are all just mom and dad were grumpy, that's not going to do great things for them to desire the Jesus that mom and dad worshipped. Now, they'll become parents and they'll understand then. But, uh, but in the meantime, man, we've got to fight for that joy. We've got to do everything we can to keep that gospel absolutely central to our thinking so that we're not fighting to defend idols, so that if we do fight, it's an important fight and a fight we need to fight, but we were slow to get there. We were very directed and surgical, aiming at that specific sin but never out to destroy people, destroy enemies. And just having a heart that loved our enemies and lays down our lives for them. Again, it's easier to subdue a city. But what we all need is to preach the gospel to our hearts on a regular basis. Get in a grace group where you got other people around you preaching that gospel to your heart on a regular basis because we're so quick to forget and to channel that fight in all the wrong directions. We need to see that Jesus was the ultimate fighter. He was the one who, who ultimately came and rescued all of us. We need to see how he did it. We need to see how complete that rescue was. And if we believe that, it changes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, um, that you're a God of anger um, and that you directed your anger that we deserved at your son. Lord, we deserved your wrath, we deserved your anger, we deserved punishment from you. But you came and you absorbed it all on that cross for us and laid down your life for your enemies. Lord, we were thirsty, and even though we were your enemies, you gave us to drink. We were hungry, and even though we hated you, you fed us. And Jesus, when we believed that, it changed us. So God, make us people who, who live that out and continually keep you on that throne and keep the idols off of it and really believe that you are who you say you are. Uh, Father, I just pray that, that you would continue to work to, to transform us so that we would believe your gospel uh, in, in every category of our lives, uh, whether it's your gospel versus anger, your gospel versus envy, your gospel versus the, the wrong ways that we shepherd our homes. Lord, every disordered thing in our life is changed when we believe your gospel. So help us to believe it. Now, if you're here today and you are, are not a Christian, uh, we're glad you're here, and you're welcome to just keep coming to Grace Road as long as you want. Ask all the questions that you want. Uh, we'll try to answer everything we can for you or tell you when we don't have answers.
We also want to let you know that every door in the church is open to you. You're welcome to check out everything we do and see the love of Christ among this Christian community. But the big thing we want you to know is that the heart of our message is the gospel. And this is the message that even though we are sinful, even though we deserve God's judgment, God came and he died for us. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again so that the Bible says whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So becoming a Christian is not about doing a bunch of good things to get God to like you. It's not about joining our church or any other church. It's not about going through an outward ritual or observance. It's about just admitting your sinfulness, admitting that you deserve God's punishment, you deserve his anger, you deserve his wrath, but then trusting in Jesus who absorbed it for you. Trust that when he died on the cross, he took all the punishment that you deserved. Trust that he was buried and he rose again and that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. If you trust in him and turn your back on sin and cry out to him in whatever words you want, say, God, I know I'm sinful. I'm turning from it. I'm believing in you and you alone is my only way to life. If that's where your heart is, he promises to forgive and to save you. Not because of the good works that you do, but because of what he did for you. So if you're here today and that's, that's new to you and you want to believe, the invitation is turn from sin and believe today. He offers you forgiveness and everlasting life, not based on anything you do. Christians, it's easy for us to think, well, I believe, so now I'm set. But all those times we're angry in the wrong ways, those are evidence that we just don't believe like we should. So we need to continue to stoke belief in the gospel, continue to be in the word, continue to be in prayer, to be in community, to be around other Christians who will help us work that gospel into our hearts so that we can believe what we believe. We can't give up that pursuit, but that's where we need to fight it at that heart level. Let's pray. Father, uh, change us. Help us to believe. Help us to be transformed. Lord, make us new as we believe your gospel and we push that belief into every corner of our hearts and lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.